Welcome. Once again, thank you so much for joining us. It really means a lot to us that you've taken the time to listen in on these conversations. And so thank you. Now, if you've enjoyed the podcast so far, it would be really helpful to us if you take the time to leave a review and share it with others. It helps us a lot to get the word out about this podcast, and so we'd appreciate it very much. So today, I start the conversation by making a reference to the Second Great Awakening. And I do this because I wanted us to try to tease out the interplay between the mind and the heart in the work of a pastor. In the Reformed world, we place a very strong emphasis on truth and doctrine, and that's all to the good unless we become tin men who are incapable of actually loving another human being. There are a lot of tin men in the Reformed world, and we don't want that. Now, as you listen to this conversation, you'll notice that we spend a lot of time talking about sexuality, which, if you know us at all, is not surprising. And you may think that we've left off talking about pastoral leadership as it pertains to this issue of the mind and the heart. But keep your eye on the ball, because really what we're doing is opening up a case study to help us understand the issue better. There is nothing more objective in the Word of God than he made them male and female, but these days you're not even allowed to say that. We can't even have separate bathrooms for men and women, and so somehow we have to bring the subjective and the objective together, and that's what I think this conversation is all about. So with that, let's jump in. Our conversation today is with Tim Bailey and Max Carell. My name is Lucas Weeks, and this is the Out of Our Minds podcast. So one of the things I wanted to address, and, and this is with the thought of Ian Murray's revival and revivalism in the back of my mind. What's in the back of my mind is the burned over district of upstate New York is what I believe is where that was, uh, Second Great Awakening. And the appeals to emotion there were so intense and so openly manipulative. I mean, that, that, that was the point. They believed that all you got to do is get them to the altar. And any means practically of getting them to the altar to give their life to Jesus was, was legit. And so when you preach, you're, you're doing two things. You are appealing to the mind, but you're also appealing to the affections. And how do you balance those things? Or, or, or is that even the wrong question? Is that, is that an engineer's way of thinking about it? Now, earlier when we were speaking about music, we acknowledged that you can, you can, it's helpful to think of music as being some music subjective, other music objective. And so subjective music is I came to the garden alone while the mm. dew was still on the road, willies mm -hmm. or whatever. And he walked with me and he talked with me mm. and he told me <laughs> I am his. Now, I'm not doing that to mock it. Mm -hmm. um, I'm doing that so that you hear the music and you realize that that whole thing is an extremely intimate, tender love song. Mm -hmm. That's subjective. Mm -hmm. Whereas, how firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord. Mm -hmm. That's objective. Mm -hmm. The word of God is a firm foundation. All yeah, right. Yeah. I can think of a lot of other hymns like that. Yeah. 
And so those two placeholders, what we have to realize is that one is generally going to be more requested by men and one by women. And if I have to tell you which one is which, you're an idiot. (laughs) Okay. Now we come back to sermons. And I think what happened was that reformed men who always tend to be more cerebral and to lack a heart, to lack the emotions, that's, Mm -hmm. that's in the nature of uh, my experience throughout church history, not Calvin. Calvin actually comments on that. Hmm. Uh, But I have noticed, I have a Reformed pastor friend of mine who, when we get done talking, because his father and my father were close friends, and I've known his family, he's known mine, I say, I love you. And he won't say, I love you. And my wife's family is like, they won't say, I love you. Mm. Well, why not? You look back with Calvin, you look back in Scripture, how many times does Paul talk about beloved? You know, you people I love, that's a good translation of beloved. Now we come to sermons, and Reformed men have grown increasingly, and it may be the Dutch influence. I've noticed Dutch men, as a culture, have very large difficulties in being intimate and expressing affection. Now, coming back to the nature of Reformed men, We are defined by education. We are defined by the intellect. We're defined by theology. We never feel comfortable departing from scholarly, intellectual, hermeneutical, exegetical, mechanical, engineerish kind of approaches to God and to preaching. Okay? And and what we have to do is realize that we are to preach to the will and the heart and not simply the mind. But reform men saw the second great awakening, and they were so, and a lot of them saw the first awakening, mm. the great awakening. And they said, hey, we can't have these dangers. And this is an ongoing battle in the reformed world. But you do not have health when you banish doctrine, mm. and you do not have health when you banish emotion, heart, will. Mm-hmm. Both of them are absolutely central to every sermon and everything the Apostle Paul writes. Yeah, I mean, it's just ridiculous to say that a sermon which doesn't appeal to the will is somehow more holy and more appropriate. It, it, it's just simply less risky, that's all. My mind keeps going to a Facebook post. It was like a screenshot of an Amy Bird discussion or something. It was an interaction where someone was talking with Amy Bird saying, I can't get on board with a theology that denies the humanity of the individual, the personhood of the individual. And what she's doing there is she's opposing the subjective feelings that she's processing against the objective words of God. And it, it had to do something with sexuality, of course, you know, wives be submissive or something like that. And I think that's what's going on there. And what what I perceive we try to do here is say, no, 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 no. We're not separating those two things. We're not separating those two things. We're calling men and women to not only obedience to the objective word of God, but also to the subjective part of it, if you will. It makes me think of you obey all the way, right away, with a happy heart. You know, this is what I tell my children. And the happy heart part is essential. That is the subjective part. If my son is is sullen at the end of discipline, I know I haven't accomplished my job. 
and yet you don't want to kill him trying to break his will. Yeah, okay. So open that up a little bit more. I mean, if you Well, it's very hard today to deal with feminine rebellion, which is equally promoted by men and women. Mm-hmm. And male abdication, which is equally promoted by both men and women, okay? It's very hard to oppose it without appearing to be a monster, okay? Mm -hmm. And so what you are tempted to do if you're teaching and preaching scripture on anything having to do with sexuality today is to play to the audience. And there are essentially two ways to play to the audience. One way is to demonstrate your uh, reasonableness, mm-hmm. your openness, your confidence, your generosity, your liberalism, your progressiveness. You know, there's an old statement that no one knows how many crimes have been committed by men fearful of appearing insufficiently progressive right right and okay. so so this would be like leading off with saying you know i know it's that women have fault. suffered so what, much what, or what a man i used to work with very well-known theologian used to do is anytime he was discussing anything related to the order of creation that god created man woman man first and then woman mm-hmm. he would say the church has done horrible things to women through the centuries and mm-hmm. we men have lots to repent of and we this and we that and oh and and he would actually say that feminism has been a good corrective mm-hmm. within the church and by the time he got to preaching or teaching any no of scripture to anything going on today. Yeah. He had eviscerated his witness. He had no gravitas. He was groveling. Hmm. And you can't do that because the fact is he is not responsible for molesting children, for abusing his wife, for being a dictator with his children. I knew his character. That's not who he was. And so for him to go on and on talking about how horrible other people are, he's not confessing his own sins. Ah. And so So it's it's just, yeah, it's just a pathetic way of trying to get kudos from people listening so they won't think you're a monster. Okay. But, okay. But I'm going to flip now. Okay. The other way you tend to do it is just being a hard ass. Mm. And that's why I said, you don't kill your child trying to break his will because Mm -hmm. he saw it. Mm-hmm. What we have to do is we have to be neither uh, demonstrating our largesse, be- benevolence, our progressiveness, our, our mm. sensitivity, okay, mm-hmm. but also not resigned to just being perceived to be a hard ass. So real important distinction to point out here. You're not saying you don't acknowledge sins and failures. No, 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 because, no. Because that's precisely what that man wasn't doing. What he was doing was burnishing his own images by acknowledging other people's That's sins right. And yeah, that's right. You have to be very sophisticated about this stuff today yeah. because most people think that the humble man is the man that confesses another man's sins. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay. <laughs> and or this the sins of his sex, which people sort of think that he is self-condemning if it's his sex, but he's not. What he's doing is showing himself to be a ladies' man. Right, right. Don't you think, though, that uh, you didn't say the word continuum, but you said two ways. One way was to 
explain away or give away or show yourself present yourself show yourself to be no bless woke of sorts yeah and then on the other hand you're the hard guy that just boom 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 i think i said hard ass i think you did yes <laughs> but i don't know that that'll make the cut <laughs> it's, i hope it does <laughs> but i'm wondering as as a often happens when I'm thinking about things that look one way and the other, if, if it's correct for us to try to find the, the middle ground or whether the option is basically the truth. In other words, that it's not simply the middle ground. You're not trying to thread the needle here. Not trying to yeah. thread the needle, but actually that they're like in a, in a, a, a subway, there's a third rail. That's <laughs> uh-huh. the live rail. And I wonder if that's what we're not trying to get at when we're trying to deal with issues like this so that we're so that we're just actually unapologetically saying this is what God says. But we're saying it in such a way as to say the problem isn't that this or this or this or this or this. The problem is that we are sinful and we don't want to be women and we don't want to be men and we want to reject that God made us that way rather than embracing it and celebrating it so that we can come into alignment with what the Scripture says about us as yeah, we're supposed but, to be. Yeah, but I want to back up a little bit because I was uncomfortable with your use of the word continuum. I think I understand what you were getting at, but I don't want people to think that that's what we think you have to do is try to find the middle way. That's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, but that's – that. Go ahead. If I may maybe disagree with you, right? Yeah. I think that what we have to do is love God, love his truth, and love the sheep. Yes. That's the problem. The problem is that the man who is a hard ass on one side and the man who is presenting himself as being sensitive to women and admitting how bad we men have been or you men have been, both men have no love for the sheep, no love for God, and no love for his truth. What they love is themselves. And any position they take saying God's no to anything is only done in an effort to maybe salve their conscience a little bit, but even in that they try to present that in a way that burnishes their image. And so let me speak about complementarians at this point. Okay, Complementarians never said no. All they did was try to say yes to some commands of Scripture and say it with a smile, Mm. okay? And they never had a theology of sexuality. Rather, they had an exegetical approach to certain texts, kephale, for instance, authentic, you know? In other words, they they were so egoistic and pharisaical in where they would and wouldn't stand on Scripture. And it's incomprehensible to think of the Apostle Paul saying that the order of creation of man first and then women only applies in the privacy of the Christian sphere, which is what all complementarians have said. They've all said, look, we need to be, we, we recognize feminism, and we need, and, and, and feminism has been a good corrective to it, in the world. And, you know, think of the burkas and, and also in the church, you know, where, where we, we, we have to admit, we have, there have been many youth ministers who have molested boys while they've been youth interns, you know, this is the latest one I've been mm-hmm. reading about. And, and so you just like emote sensitivity to the failure of all the men that came before you. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. And then you say, nevertheless, nevertheless, now that I've got street cred with all you shrews and all you wimps, nevertheless, don't you think that maybe it might be possible in the church and the home to have some manifestation of, I don't want to call it authority, but servant leadership, <laughs> you know, and that is worse than saying nothing. It's mm. the lukewarm middle. That's threading but the needle. But it's not even lukewarm. Yeah, it is. It's, it's so weak. It's so pathetic. It's it's spewable. Yeah, you just want That's to vomit. The thing. And it's I did spewable. after three or four years of working as executive director of CBMW. I just like, okay, I'm out. Okay, you said love of... I mean, listen, love. one other thing. Why is this so important? Well, it's important because it starts in the home. My wife and I had to repent of that conceit of the modern, that somehow we have... We have progressed beyond our doty parents, you know, who who were so stupid. Wait, wait, it's, it's what, tr- what starts in the home? What are you talking? You about? have to work on yourself and your wife to embrace biblical sexuality. Ah, yes, okay. And the minute you embrace it, and it's a long lifetime process, and you love your people, and you want to help them see it too. So go ahead, go back. Well, I was going back to the point because because I like I like the image that I created in the in the subway and the rails of the subway because for me that helps me to to think about the otherliness of following God that that it means it means a new creature and and so you have the reality of the guy that's way over here and the person that's way over there but you actually have something that's not in the middle. It's just otherly. And it is what you said. I like the way you said it. You said, I love, love of God, love, love, love of the people. And was it love of the word? The truth. The yeah. truth. Yeah. And so that's the place where we, we need to find ourselves there. And it can begin. It has but, to begin. Okay. But how does, you know, I started this by setting up the distinction the between. Awakening. Well, the Great Awakening and uh, talking about, you know, if you're thinking about someone in the pew, this this commenter on Facebook denying my humanity by, you know, hitting me with these truths, how does what you say, what you just said, deal with that person? Well, listen, the modern world tries to get us to be reductio ad absurdum on every conflicted issue. Mm. They try to force us to make a choice between two things and to exclude the middle. And so she's saying, well, if I am supposed to be subservient, mm-hmm. okay, to men generally or to my husband, this does not affirm my personhood. And scripture says in Christ, there's no male nor female. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's just this endless thing about how if you say anything that I feel as a woman in any way diminishes my, she says humanity, the first thing I would say to her is, do you mean your humanity or do you mean your manhood? And it would freak her out. And she would say, what do you mean my manhood? I'm a woman. And I'd say, no, but do you know God named you man? As a woman, God named you man. He named the race Adam. Mm-hmm. Because see, what she's doing is, I don't know who it was. Yeah. I didn't read it. But it's perpetual that women are intimidating men through their weakness and sensitivities and hurt feelings. 
Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we have to remember today, forgetting the issue of sexuality for a second, everybody should recognize that the greatest power in the Western world today is victimhood. Mm-hmm. And we cannot continue to give in to everybody's claim to being a victim without completely leaving behind justice and truth and mm-hmm. mercy. Mm-hmm. Because justice and truth and mercy are discrete, concrete, hard things. Mm-hmm. Merciful means you don't get what you deserve. That requires a judgment of what you deserve. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. victimhood just makes a melange, a, a mud out of everything. Because whoever has the most poignant, the most pathetic claim of hurt, everybody defers to them. So when she says, "No, this is denying my humanity," what you're supposed to say is, "Oh, sweetie pie," yeah. but don't say "sweetie pie" because then yeah. she'll attack you for that. Yeah, and you're supposed to feel the hurt and then think, that, oh, "Well, I looked at pornography last night. I don't have the right to speak about this anyhow." Mm-hmm. Which actually, if we look at what's going on in the Western world today, I think we could sum it up by saying all the men are addicted to pornography and not interested in women. And so they'll never fight them because they don't love them. And mm-hmm. they don't care if the women go to hell. They don't care if they're all shrews, if they're all rebels, if everybody's a victim. If, you know, it's just this huge self flagellation of men who have looked at na- naked flesh and women who are angry over it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I know it's an oversimplification. <laughs> so going back to the issue. If we love God, if we love his truth, if we love our neighbor, we realize that there's nothing more fundamental to life than God's assignment of man and woman. Mm -hmm. And that it's there from the moment of conception, even before implantation on the uterine wall, okay? Mm -hmm. That's how foundational it is to us. And so if we're unwilling to deal with the will and the heart as well as the mind in this. If we're trying to be parsimonious in where it applies, you know, set up firewalls between private Christian uh, and public, you know, Mm -hmm. it doesn't apply there, it does apply here. If we're trying to say this is a Christian truth but not a world truth, if, if, if we have bad consciences because we've looked at pornography, if we have committed adultery, if we, there are all kinds of things that can cause pastors to be silent. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that they don't dispense kefale and authentane and, and a sitzum laban of well, that's, Ephesus. That's, go ahead. Part of the shtick is appearing to want to teach the truth, but doing it in such a way that it eviscerates the truth of its divine power mm. and authority. And it's getting worse. It's and just it's, getting worse. It's getting yeah. worse just like uh, having following the transgender path gets you college men running against college women yeah. and taking all of the trophies. Yeah. And it's creating such a, 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 a crazy state. This is where I was telling you guys earlier about the video of the San Francisco police person. Mm-hmm. But they didn't say in the thing, they just said, police officer but then i opened it up and it was a police woman who's yeah. arresting a homeless man who's twice her size or more mm-hmm. and so he just turns around when she's trying to arrest him and she he just overpowers her and he's got her on the ground mm-hmm. and suddenly you watch three men come up to the situation and they do end up getting her getting him uh getting her free from him 
The problem is you can see on their faces the, the difficulty of everything we've been talking about right now. You can see on their faces the how am I going to, how am I going to act and, and what and, is it going to look and like? And what, what will it look like on the video when mm-hmm. I actually come down and act like a man mm-hmm. in, in aid of this woman mm-hmm. who's a police woman and she's supposed to, and she's wearing the gun. Mm-hmm. And she's, she is completely at the mercy of this guy right now on the ground. And it took a long time. I mean, they very slowly, it was bizarre, but they very slowly engaged with him, first pulling at his hand, first talking to him, then pulling at his hand. And finally, one of them woke up to the point where they just started bashing him in the face. And it, this, was, this would not have been this way in, in decades past. My father's generation, that would never have happened. First of all, you wouldn't have had the police woman. Yeah, I'll never forget visiting a guy in, in the local jail. And as we're going by one of the rooms, a woman uh, guard is escorting me. And we go by a door, and there's a man completely naked in his cell. There's a large light in the door. In other words, a large uh, glass window. And he's standing naked, and he's out of his mind. And, you know, in in prison and jails, often excrement, urine is thrown. And the horror of this woman constantly being subjected to this kind of thing that only men should see, and even that shouldn't be allowed. In other words, prisoners should not be allowed to act this way. Mm. You know what I'm saying? But we we have declined. We are such a decadent society that we actually think we have a principle to have a woman able and paid to be exposed to such horrible immodesty on the part of a man, you know? And until we see biblically what's going on, biblically, but so many women and men are rebels against Scripture, even though they claim to be Christians, claim to be Reformed, claim to be honoring Scripture. They have no idea what Scripture teaches about sexuality, and they think they have a principle, and the principle really is off the op-ed pages of, you know, WAPO and the New York Times and the, you know, it's, it's just like, it's, it's not a principle, it's a decadence. Mm-hmm. And I want us to go back to the beginning where we were talking about the second great awakening. And, you know, they went after the emotions. They tried to manipulate people. And now today in the reform world, I remember Ian Murray saying again and again at the Banner of Truth conference, he's, he, he would say, why don't reformed pastors evangelize, preach evangelistically? Every year he would bring this up. He was so intent about it. But then he would also say, why are Reformed preachers preaching as if they're teaching? Why Mm. is there no emotion? Why is there no? He would say this. Oh, yeah, 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 Mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, what we've done is we have overcorrected for the manipulation and the emotions. And we have gone off to an ivory tower to have PhDs instruct us. And we have not inculcated in our shepherds a love for the sheep, Hmm. a love for the sheep, a love for God, a love for truth. We're not even willing to tell each other, beloved, we're not even willing to say, I love you to people, even to our own children. Men will not say this. Well, this is, this is to say it's sub biblical is an understatement. 
God is love. And until we have pastors who actually love their sheep in such a way that you can relate to Jesus talking about, you know, going out to find the one that's lost. I mean, what a joke. What pastor's going to bother going out to find one lost when he doesn't love his sheep? Who's going to die fighting the wolf, fighting off the bear, fighting off the lion if he doesn't love his sheep? Who's going to preach to the heart if he doesn't love his sheep? Who is going to say no? to the abdication of men and to the rebellion of women if he doesn't love his sheep. He won't even see what's going on in the homes because of the rebellion of the mother and the abdication of the father. He won't even see it because he doesn't love them. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you have to love your people. You have to see what you see. And then you have to realize you know what scripture says about that. And so are you going to speak up or are you just going to give a, a, a discourse, you know, on... Uh, the meaning of the word kephale mm-hmm. <laughs> and authentic, you know, it's just, it just like drives me crazy. Drives well, me. I'm sorry. I'm bringing my heart into this and <laughs> my emotions. <laughs> I think that uh, there's probably a lot of young men who are coming into the pastorate who have never seen anything else. And so it's really hard. They, but they, they have because they've read the New Testament. Mm, that's, true. that's true. I mean, I keep telling guys, why do you look at the book of Galatians as a doctrinal, you know, <laughs> presentation, mm. okay, on the subject of justification, and you don't look at it as a manual of pastoral care? Mm-hmm. Why are you willing to learn what he has to teach you there doctrinally, but you're unwilling to learn what he has to teach to you there pastorally, mm-hmm. and how you preach and how you give pastoral care? And so everybody's dismissive about him saying, go ahead, and I wish they'd cut it all off. Mm-hmm. Or him saying, you know, these guys want you to be their followers. They're trying to win you over. to the, That's why they're teaching this false doctrine. Look at their motives. Mm-hmm. And everybody wants to dismiss the gnarly things the Apostle Paul does there and the method and the intensity and the rhetoric and all that and just pull out the, the sterile doctrinal truths you know, and that's not how script. So you say, well, that's all they've ever seen. No, they have seen Calvin's sermons. They've seen Paul's sermons. And if you haven't seen Calvin's sermons, you need to see them. Yeah. They've seen Edward's sermons. They've seen Lloyd Jones' sermons. None of these guys preach in the antiseptic way that John MacArthur and men like that preach, or even Tim Keller. Hmm. You know, and I'm not saying Tim Keller and John MacArthur aren't helpful on the level of intellect, Mm. exegesis, hermeneutics, they are. So going back to the Great Awakening, we have to realize that in the Reformed world, we have no higher expectation than disquisitions of exegetical hermeneutical observations of the text, which itself is an objectification of God's truth. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? The text. Yeah. And a whole several generations of reformed men have no expectation of preaching being anything other than an intellectual exercise that gives helpful observations from the word of God. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's so, so many applications to this. Go ahead, Max. No, I was going to say, so we don't ever see the, co- the personal cost that it was to them. 
Or address it. And or or address it. Or, address or, or it. see Did, it as Jesus or, addressed it. Jesus said, In this world you're gonna have many people. Fear not, I have over I mean, Jesus was constantly addressing the world. Yeah, but I mean thinking about thinking about that and how we when you love people, it cost you. It's just it it, it oh, when you so love when you the, love God, when the prophets loved God, it cost them. When they loved God's word and truth, it cost them. When they loved God's people, it cost them. And and what ends up happening, I'm, I guess, can't help but thinking that right now what we've got going on is just as much uh, uh, adorning the tombs of the prophets with wreaths as as they would have done at the time. I mean, isn't that what this kind of uh, this kind of approach to being to being pastors is? When we just go up and we just tell the text and we do the doctrine, and and so what we're doing is we're basically. Uh, removing the testimony as it's been given to us by Christ himself, by the apostles, by faithful pastors all through history that cost them because of their love for God, because of their love for the truth, because of their love for their people. It cost them and cost them and cost them. It was alive. It was vital. And it was expensive. And they ended up pouring out their lives and their blood to it, to do it. And so now we look at them and we celebrate them. We celebrate Calvin, and we celebrate them all, and, and, but we won't do anything that they do. Thanks for listening. My name is Lucas Weeks, and our conversation today was with Tim Bailey and Max Correll. We serve as pastors at Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. For more great content, please visit warhornmedia.com. To support this podcast, you can donate at patreon.com slash outofourlines. Cheers. I just, I, you need to be right next to your mic. I know what I'm doing. I do this right. Okay. I bet I'm closer than you. You are, but you, you I think you do tend to we, weasel away. Um, 